those of you who have been uh, with me a while in our fellowship know that um, usually I preach through uh, segments of the Scripture, and, uh, you know, God gives me kind of an idea of where we're headed, and I uh, plan that out and and uh, work on that for a period of time, and I'm still in that waiting mode, not anxiously waiting, but waiting patiently if God has that kind of plan. I don't, uh, at this moment, know where we're going to be going uh, in terms of Scripture study, but one of the books that um, I can't shake is Colossians. For some reason, God keeps pulling me back to Colossians, and uh, no matter what else I read, I seem to come back here, and every time I uh, look at these verses, uh, I just see more and more in them, and that's kind of been happening to me lately. And I I saw toward the end of chapter 1, some actually kind of in the middle, verses uh, 9 through 12, 14, I saw some things more clearly, I think, than I have seen before, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. So if you'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, even though our text is verses 9 through 12. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit, and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin." Now, as we start a new year, and one of the things that's been on my mind is, what does it really mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus Christ? Um, I'm using that phrase more frequently than before in terms of defining who I am. Uh, In in my uh, perception of our culture to say I'm a Christian no longer has very much meaning. 
A lot of people are Christians. In fact, if you pay attention to the polls and surveys, the vast majority of Americans are Christians, probably approaching more than 80%. Uh, some, in the last 10 years, some polls show over 90% of Americans claim to be Christians. Well, they obviously aren't. And so uh, our country is, has run amok, and there's nothing about the United States as a country in its culture that speaks of a Christian nation that I can see. And so to say I'm a Christian uh, culturally has no meaning. To say that I'm a Christian in terms of the church conjures up all kinds of images of religion. And there are many stripes and versions of Christians in all kinds of churches, from Roman Catholic to uh, freewheeling independents uh, off doing their own thing, and yet all of them come under the umbrella of Christianity. So, to say I'm a Christian doesn't have a great deal of meaning. Uh, something more is needed to explain uh, who I am. And the, the concept of being a follower of Jesus Christ seems to capture more the essence of what the New Testament means by those people who were first called Christians in Antioch. They were little Christ. They were followers of Jesus Christ in such a distinctive way that they stood out and people began calling them by His name. So maybe we need to go back in time a little bit and become followers of Jesus Christ. But when I say that, then what does that mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Paul is writing here to a church that he did not personally start. He was certainly involved in the establishment of a number of churches in Asia and Asia Minor, but Laodicea or Colossae was not one of them uh, initially. One of his colleagues, Epaphras, was instrumental in that work, and so he has heard about their faith from Epaphras and others who have brought the report to him. And Paul is thrilled by what he has heard. He has learned that the Colossians uh, are a, a group of believers who are serious about following Christ. They're serious about their faith. Uh, and they are characterized, when you read this letter over and over, you see that this church is characterized by a depth of love that may be unusual in terms of standing out among some of the other uh, churches of the region. They are noted for their love, the love they have for each other, the love that they have for God, the love that permeates our lives. And you see that as you read that first chapter and then you continue through the book, you see that that they are in love with Christ and because of that they love each other in the godly, Christ-centered kind of way. And so we know that their hearts are right and their motivation is pure, as far as our motives can be. You know, 
when you examine them, the thing that is driving the Colossians is their love for God. And that has transformed them. It's changed their lives. I want to emphasize that at the beginning because it is presupposed in this prayer that we're going to study this morning. Paul says, I've not stopped praying for you since the day I heard of your turning to Christ. I've, I've been praying for you, and I'm praying something very specifically for you. And what he is praying for them is presupposed by the fact that they love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. And I want to emphasize that this morning. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I don't have love, if I'm lacking that love, if I'm lacking that passion, all the rest of it is basically useless. The Ephesian church was a church that was characterized by its orthodox doctrinal purity. And yet Jesus said, I have a problem with you. You have left your first love. And so it is possible to be evangelical. It's possible to be doctrinally sound, to have all the right ideas, and be spiritually dead, and be driven by the wrong things. You have to have the love as a foundation, a presupposition to everything else in the faith. If you don't love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, then the rest of this is not going to do you very much good. So, to be a Christ follower, a follower of Christ, first of all, means that we genuinely, truly, from the heart, love Him with all of our being. And I suppose that's my first question for you this morning, because as we look at this, uh, I'm going to ask you several questions, but, but the first one is, do you love the Lord? As you allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart, do you love Him? Has He captured your heart? Does He captivate your imagination? Is your passion to follow Him? And, and passion is the word that I want to use, because passion arises from love. Is your passion to follow Christ? Do you love Him today? That's where this begins. And assuming that that is true, Paul then begins to pray for the Colossians and explains his prayer. And I want us to look at that in some depth this morning. I hope you picked up one of these um, rather strange-looking papers that I've made available to you, because what I've done there is it's not truly an it's not truly a sentence outline but it's kind of a grammatical dissection of the segment that I want to focus on. And it comes out with some, some pretty interesting characteristics as we go through it. Look in verse 9 of Colossians 1, or, or look at your paper where it's printed for you there. And Paul says, 
I have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. And this is what we're praying. This is the thing that we're asking. First of all, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, at first sight, you may be inclined to think that Paul is saying, I want you to know God's will for your life. But that's not what he's saying here. And that's one of the things that kind of leapt out at me as I meditated on this passage. Paul has a much broader context in mind than what is God's will for me. Particularly, what is God? What is God's will for my life? Some of you say I'm beyond the point of asking that question. It doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> I, I, I've gone too far in life to make any major changes. Well, that's that's not true. That's beside the point to begin with. But the, the whole point here is this is not talking about you individually. Paul is talking about. God's grand purpose, His great scheme, His overarching plan for the universe and for the world and for humankind. When Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, when you pray, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was not talking particularly about your individual life. He was talking about God's purposes, God's eternal plan, God's overarching focus and direction. Where is God going? What is he after? What is the mission? What is his plan? And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. And you get some of that in the first paragraph, and I've printed it in that little box out there for you. The hope that we have laid up in heaven that we heard in the word of truth, the gospel. And he says in the last few lines, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I was thinking about something the other day. I was, I was thinking about my own life, actually. But something made me catch a glimpse of, of something bigger than me. And I was asking the question, what difference does my life make? What difference does your life make? And when you go back a hundred years, well, let me just ask you very simply, do you remember your great-great-grandfather? Do you know what his favorite meal was? Do you know what TV shows he liked? <laughs> Do you even know where he's buried? 
I don't want to make you feel bad this morning, but isn't it, isn't it amazing how quickly we become inconsequential to future generations? You're here because of your great-great-grandfather and, and your great-great-grandmother and some others. But you don't even know anything about them to speak of unless you're a genealogy buff. Their lives are meaningless to you. They're off the scene. They're out of mind. You, most of you probably couldn't find their grave unless you have a family cemetery somewhere. In a hundred years, their lives have become meaningless to the present generation. Now, don't get too down about that. <laughs> But just put it in context, because that, those are the kind of things that were going through my mind when, when I was saying, what difference does my life make? And I have been reading this book, two or three page biographies of people throughout church history uh, that have been significant, that most people wouldn't even know their names now. But yet, they have had a significant influence in one way or another upon the thinking of the church throughout its history. They have helped to shape the church of Jesus Christ as they have followed Him. And it occurred to me that my life only makes sense when I view it in the context of God's eternal plan and purposes. I do have a purpose. I am here for a reason. My life is going to make a difference. But in terms of history, that difference is only going to be appreciated when we stand at the end of time and look at the whole tapestry that God has woven and find our thread and see what, a, what an important role it played in that part of the tapestry. And yet, right in this moment, what I do has an incredible ripple effect in the lives of my children, in the lives of you as a congregation, in the lives of people who know me, in the influence that passes on from there. I have no idea where it's going. But what I do know is that if I have captured a sense of God's eternal purposes and I'm living for Him in the fullest understanding of those purposes, He is going to make my life count eternally. My life has meaning. And then in eternity, when we share together, it has great meaning forever. And so Paul says, I, I, I want you to get the big picture. I really want you to understand God's overarching purpose. I want you to see where it's going. You know, are, are you praying for the big things? Are you praying for the salvation of souls around you? How about that list of ten? Are you praying for 
revivals and, and movements of God? Are you praying for the kingdom to come in certain places, in certain areas? The gentleman that I told you that I met in Johnson City, that, that we had a couple of conversations. He's a pre, he is a professor at East Tennessee State University. He is praying the kingdom of God into East Tennessee State University. He has a sense of divine mission, what God wants to do in a university campus. I don't know many, how many thousands of students are there. There's quite a few. It's not one of the largest universities, but there's ten or more thousand students there. And this guy has one professor in the sociology department, but he is praying for the kingdom to come in that university. And he is offered himself to the Lord as salt and light in that context to be used however God wants to use him. And he has a vision for the entire campus. Are you praying for the big things? Do you see the big mission? Do, do we have a sense of God's eternal purpose? Or are we more concerned about what I want tomorrow? And I'm not suggesting this morning that God is not interested in what you want or need. But I am suggesting that the people who have a handle on the knowledge of His will are those who understand the bigger plan. And then we begin to see our lives in the context of that great purpose of God. I want to be a part of that purpose. Paul says, I am praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, here's an important truth about the, the, the truths of the Christian faith. The things of the Spirit are not understood by the natural mind. This is not to say that an unbeliever can't read the Bible and, and read the words on the page and kind of say, well, I think this is what this is, what this is saying. I mean, it, it, it is in grammar and syntax and uses words that you can find in Webster's, and, but you will not understand it. I mean, you won't get it apart from the Spirit of God. And it doesn't matter whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. Apart from the Spirit of God, you will not understand this book. You won't get what God is about. You, you need divine, supernatural illumination. When you read the Bible, do you ask for that? Do you ask God to open your eyes and show you what He is saying? Do you ask Him to teach you? He is the only one that can put this together for you and, and give you understanding. Notice Paul says it is spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. This means wisdom and understanding that is of the Spirit or in the spiritual realm. It doesn't mean it's mystical and esoteric or, or off out there in, in space somewhere. It's 
it's comprehensible, but it requires the Holy Spirit for proper understanding. And Paul says, I'm praying this for you, that you will really get it. And the difference between wisdom and understanding is the difference between perception and application. And what I mean by that is, if, if you see what God is doing, that's perception. And in the context of what He is doing, if you know how to act, that is application. That's the wisdom of applying what you have perceived in the Spirit. Paul says, I want you, so, so we'll put this phrase together. Paul says, I want you to understand the, the overarching will of God. I want you to get the big picture. I want you to really grasp it in a way that you see what God is about and you know how you fit. You know how it applies. You, you, you see what your purpose is in the midst of it. So that... See how see that dependency? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, I want to go back to the beginning just a moment and clarify something. There are two things required. Remember where I'm headed now, and I gave you this outline so you can take it home and think it over a time or two. Do you really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? I started out by saying the, the prerequisite is love. You must love the Lord. If you don't love the Lord, forget the rest. You're just spinning your wheels. But if you love the Lord, then the second thing is, in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you need to have this understanding. You need to see life in the context of God's greater plan. So that you can walk in a manner worthy. And here's the catch. If you lack love, you can have all the doctrine in the world and you will not walk worthy of the Lord. You're going to be a clanging gong or a tinkling cymbal. You're just not going to be of any good. In fact, you'll probably be more trouble than you're worth. But if you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you don't understand what it's about, you're also not going to walk in a manner worthy of, of the Lord. Because you don't get it. You've got all this passion, you've got all these feelings, you've got all this excitement, but it's zeal without knowledge. And it's not going to take you very far. Because... Your, your passion is great, but you don't have any clue what's going on. And, and I will tell you what often happens to people like that. They burn out rather quickly. They are the ones who, by the book, disappointed with God. Because they have started out with all these ideas of what it means to be a follower of Christ and their, their heart is in it, 
and life starts throwing them curves, and they don't get it, and they don't know what's going on, and pretty soon they're shipwrecked. And Jesus described those people in the parable of the soils when he says they spring up quickly, and then as soon as the sun comes out and the heat builds up, they wither away because there were, there were no roots. They, they weren't anchored. Full of passion, full of zeal, no foundation. So both of these ingredients are required. You, you cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if you have no understanding. Nor can you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord if you don't love Him. You must have both ingredients. Uh, one of the things that God put on my heart when I was away in November, and I'm just going to read you some of these. Uh, I, I don't know where this is going or even when or how I'm going to do it, but God put it on my heart to start writing some things down. I, I don't mean like on a sheet like this. I mean like in a book. Maybe a blog. I don't know. I don't know where this is going. Um but I, I felt impressed of God to begin to write. After 40 years of preaching, <laughs> it's like I need to put a few of these things down that God has taught me. And so, um, and my brother is always asking me hard questions. He is a thinker. As he puts it, he has a lot of windshield time because uh, though he owns his own company, he is also the number one sales guy. And uh, he's always on the road uh, driving from Orlando practically to Miami uh, covering his uh, territory that he has assigned himself. So he's got a lot of time behind the windshield and he thinks about a lot of things. And a lot of things trouble him, that trouble a lot of people. And so we were having a conversation over Thanksgiving and, and he kept peppering me with these questions for which there are no easy answers. There are answers, but they are not easy answers. And so it occurred to me that maybe I should title my book, Why? Just why? I don't know how it will end up. But these are some of the questions, or some of the chapter titles that I wrote down. This is raw. Okay, I just grabbed this off my desk this morning to share. Uh, no plan here. And no order. God is love. People need to know that. God is God, and we're not. People need to know that. We are broken, so is our world. God is on a mission. He has eternity in view. What does it mean to be a Christian celebrity, a.k.a. the Tim Tebow Syndrome? That one came to me, as you all know, because uh, he was getting a lot of press at that particular time. Truth, from what perspective? God origin and God-centered or materialism? If I can't get what I want, what good is God? The purpose of prayer. The meaning of work. The meaning of marriage, family, and covenant. 
the meaning of culture and the tragedy of racism, the reality of evil and the potential wickedness of human beings. Have you ever contemplated how evil human beings can be? I mean, it, it, the, the capacity of sadistic wickedness in human beings is almost incomprehensible. What people can do to other people. Um, and that's hard to understand if you have any civility about you at all. Sickness, pain, and suffering. Crime, war, and abuse. What about death and dying? The blessing and snare of genetics, family weaknesses, and character flaws. Don't you wish you could separate some of those out of your life? Questions like, how come my children were killed by a drunk driver? How come I got cancer? How come I lost my job? How come my house got repossessed? I'm a follower of Christ. Why did I get sick? I'm a follower of Christ. How did I get caught up in this mess I'm in? I'm a follower of Christ. Where did my life go wrong? How did I get divorced? On and on the questions go. People have hundreds of questions. Why do the wicked prosper? And the godly suffer. I don't get it. What is this business all about? And in the midst of all that, friends, there are answers. You know, I, it bothers me when people say, there's just no answers to some of these questions. Oh, yes, there is. There are answers. Most people don't like them, and so they want to move on. I remember, and I don't know who it was, it wasn't Johnny Erickson Tata, but it was someone like her who had suffered a horrible accident that had left them maimed for life. And someone said to them, how could this happen to you? You're such a good person. You love the Lord so much. And their answer was, why not me? You know, some people have the perspective, why me? And this person had the perspective, why not me? Who am I that I should be spared what other people suffer? These things happen. And the question becomes, do I have a bigger picture so that in the company of Jesus Christ, who has promised never to leave me nor forsake me, I can find purpose and meaning in everything that crosses my path? Because there are no accidents from that standpoint. And I'm not standing here preaching a fatalistic predestination this morning. 
But you remember the song stayed upon Jehovah, the verse that goes, every joy or trial comes from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. And everything that happens in our lives puts us into a context where if we love the Lord and we have the big picture, we become his ambassador, his light in that darkness. You may be the only person that can have an influence toward Jesus Christ in a particular setting because of what has happened to you. And in that moment, the question becomes, do I want what I want or am I more concerned with the big picture? Is it better for me to suffer through what I'm struggling with or and have someone come to Christ Or is it better for me to get what I want and go back to being comfortable? I don't know if you can see it from there, but I have a black thumbnail. It started back under here, and it's working its way out. My son, Stephen, was helping me uh, install some bookcases that have been buried for a very long time in our basement. We found them and resurrected them. And I'm finally getting my library out after eight years. I think it's about time. And I was holding two of them together to drive a screw to get them to... And and I was leaning into the screwdriver, and Stephen was helping me, and we were standing there. And you know what screwdrivers do on screw heads when you got all your weight behind them? And they're spinning? They slip, occasionally. And sure enough, this one popped out, and... I've been out of the trades for a little while. I used to know not to have my thumb within striking distance. But it was right there, about an inch over. And as it popped out, all of my weight on the head of that spinning Phillips screw landed on my thumb. It really hurt. It hurt for 24 hours. It was still throbbing the next day. It was two days later when it finally relieved itself. I won't go into the gory details, but it it did, the pressure came off. Let's put it that way. And, And you say to me, what does this have to do with anything? Because I did what anybody would do in that situation. I dropped the drill I jerked my thumb away, and I'm walking around going, oh, that really hurts. But that's not what most people would do. And I thought about it later as my son watched me pace back and forth for a few minutes, holding my thumb, saying, wow, that really hurts. Man, that smarts. And nothing foul and nothing profane and nothing ungodly, and I dropped the drill. I didn't throw it anywhere. And I thought, well, and now do I think God planned that? I do not think that. 
I don't think God wants to injure my thumb to, to, to make a, uh, you know, an illustration. But it did occur to me that in that moment, because Christ is filling my life, there was a reaction to pain, but not a profane and abusive response that my son observed. And he knew that when his dad smashes his thumb, ugly things do not come out of his mouth. And you don't plan that, friends. <laughs> if Jesus is not in control, other stuff happens. And I'm only telling you that because I thought, well, I can't see any benefit in this. It's still numb. But... There was a valuable lesson, I think, impressed in my son's mind. And I hope that in every situation that there are valuable lessons that are impressed. I think I shared with some of you, or maybe not in detail, but in August of this year when we were on family vacation, I very nearly drowned. I really came close. I wasn't sure I was getting out. And Jonathan was with me. And it was another teaching moment. What do you do when you're looking death square in the face? And how do you handle that afterwards? And there are lessons to be learned there. And if your heart is focused in Jesus Christ, you know, and I, and I mean, I was at the point where I said, Lord, I may not get out of this. I may see you very soon. But I prayed for my son because I did not want him to suffer that trauma. Now, not every child gets that prayer answered, but I prayed for him. I did not want him to lose his dad in a river 800 miles from home in East Tennessee. And so I asked God for his life. And then I prayed for Rowena because I thought, well, that's not going to be too good either for her to be in East Tennessee and me lost in the uh, Watauga River somewhere. But anyway, in every situation of life, if you have the big picture and you love the Lord, you know that there are no purposeless events. There are no accidents. There are no mistakes. There are only opportunities to embrace the will of the Father and to demonstrate the truth of the gospel of which you are an ambassador, salt and light in a dark world. Are you willing to be that person? What does it mean to follow Christ? People always ask the question, um, what is God's will for my life? And what they're thinking of is, should I be a doctor? Should I be a preacher? Should I be a missionary? Should I drive a truck? What is God's will for my life? And people 
get real stirred up about that. Should I marry this person or that person? Should you know? Should we have three kids or five or none or or you know? Should I buy this car or that car or whatever? And I and I'm not suggesting for a moment that all of those things in life are not faced in the context of prayer. But I was reminded as I was meditating on this passage of the centurion who came to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant. And you remember what he said. I just talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He said, you don't need to come to my house. I mean, Jesus said, I'll drop everything and come. He says, you don't need to come to my house, for I, too, am a man in authority. And when I say to this one, go, he goes. And when I say to another one, come, he comes. I understand the, the authority structure with servants And so you can speak the word and my servant will be healed. Now, the important thing this morning in seeing that is the nature of being a servant. When God says, go, you go. When he says, come, you come. If you don't hear anything, listen to me carefully. Because you could sure take this out of context. You can do whatever you want. You really can. You want to be an engineer? Be an engineer. You know, you want to volunteer at the library? Volunteer at the library. You want to start a new hobby? Start the hobby. What do you want to do? What's in your heart? What motivates you? What excites you? Where are your, where are your interests? What are your skills? What are your aptitudes? Follow your heart in the context of prayer and seeking God, but don't stress out over that stuff. But understand that along the way, if he says, Mark, I need you to go, then drop everything you're doing and go. You know, Norm, I need you to come. All right? You're my Lord. I'm with you. In other words, we are 24-7 available. In the broader context, we do everything by prayer with thanksgiving. But don't stress out over what is God's will for my life. Just follow your heart. Do what you want to do. If you're headed wrong, God will straighten you out. Presuppositions, remember, you love the Lord and you understand His his will. And you're prayerful. Now go to it. Because if you're a servant of the Lord out of love, if you're a love slave, when He interrupts your plan and gives you an assignment, you're ready to go. You know? And I picked on Mark because he caught my vision over here, but... Earlier last year during Mission Conference, we talked about a book that the Cambodians needed, you know, and Mark's minding his own business, working for Zurich, doing his thing, being a family man, and God says to him, I want you to do something about this. And our church was able to participate in helping to provide that book. That's what I mean. If God wants to tap you on the shoulder and and point you in a direction, 
He can do that if you love Him and you get the bigger picture and you're, you're available to Him. Don't worry about it. It's not the will of God that you need to be so concerned about in terms of every move I make. Let's see, do I have mac and cheese today or meatloaf? Or both? Just cook. What do you want? Some, some people just get all tied up in knots over this kind of thing. I'm, I'm belittling it a little bit, but you get the picture. But the more important thing is to say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm available. Whatever comes my way along the journey, I want to make a difference. I want to be salt. I want to be light. I want to, to be a follower of Christ. I'm available. And I know what you're after. And your kingdom and your glory and, and the truth the living truth of the Gospel is more important than anything else in the world. And my heart's all about that. That's when I, I can say in that context, do whatever you want to do. Because you're not going to get off track. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And as you do that, I've got to finish this up. As you do that, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You will bear fruit in every good work. You will bear fruit. God will operate through you. You will see what He does. And it will be, wow! <laughs> this is neat. I don't mean to pick on you, Mark, but I just I want to go back to my Cambodian book for just a moment. What began as a statement and was given as a vision is now a tangible, printed book available to pastors in Cambodia. There's fruit to that good work. It's reality. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It has become reality. It becomes a good work. Bears fruit. And we increase in the knowledge of God. In other words, the more we follow Him and He leads us, the more we get it. The more we understand, oh, I'm, I'm really seeing what this is all about. We, we learn to be more carefully tuned to His voice. We pay more attention to what He's after. We see more clearly the bigger picture. The further we go down the road, the more it becomes obvious. If I ever do write the things that are on my heart to write, it's not an accident that it's after four decades of preaching. Because it takes time to get it. But you grow in that knowledge. And as you walk, and as you grow, and as you bear fruit, you are strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of endurance, steadfastness, and patience or long-suffering. In other words, God builds stability into your life. There's strength, there's energy for the task. And God builds that undergirding strength 
and stability. The roots go deep. And as a consequence, our lives become steady. You know, I, I don't want to lose my passion just because my body is wearing out. I, I want to I keep my passion fervent. I want to keep my love for God fervent. I, I, I used to, to tell you the truth, get a little aggravated with Ruth Sween. Because she kept saying, I don't know what I'm good for. And she was one of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever known. And I thought, dear Ruth, I know you can't get out and do much, and you can't go and do the things you used to do. And, and, and you know, even your, your, your loves of life, of painting and things like that, have gone by the wayside. But, oh, Ruth, you pray, you pray, you pray. She prayed for my children every day of their lives, as far as I know. She reported to that to me every time I saw her. I pray for them every day. You know? There is never a moment in your life when you do not have value and meaning and purpose. God will strengthen you and build the roots deep. And out of that life will flow joy and thanksgiving. That's the overflow of a life that is filled with God. Joyously giving thanks. And I drew you this little diagram at the bottom because it goes around and around. See, Paul starts out praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of His will. You walk in a manner. You bear fruit. You grow in knowledge. You're strengthened in power. You are overflowing with joy. You're filled with more knowledge so you can walk more accurately, so you can be stronger in the Lord, so you have more joy. It just keeps going. It's supposed to keep going until you see Him face to face. Now, I want to encourage you as you begin this year, friends, The two things that you need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must be in love with Jesus. If you're not in love with Him, you need to, that's where your praying needs to start. God, renew my love. Break my heart. Get my eyes off myself. Renew my love. Because if you don't love the Lord, The rest of it is not going to work. Love the Lord. And loving Him, ask Him, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding, ask Him with Paul, show you that you may be filled with the knowledge of His big plan so that you can begin to understand how your thread fits the tapestry. Because you do count. You do matter. Your life has purpose in this moment of time. And as you are a follower of Christ, bringing His light into the darkness, you make a difference. And the more you go, the greater you'll understand it. The more fun you'll have. That's another word for joy. And giving thanks. The more fun you'll have, 
more understanding you'll gain, the more accurately you'll walk, the more you'll understand, the more fun you'll have. Be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ this year. Father, thank you for your word. Minister to us in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding that we might be filled with the real knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in all respects. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.